passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way Take the mic. We are live. It's John Pollock waiting. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. Welcome to the month of May. Hello, Way. Hello, Way. It's time for May. Oh, nice. Good job. Nice. Moving on. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm well, John. How are you? There is a lot going on. There's so much going on, Way. I don't even care how your weekend was. Okay. All right. Let's dive right into it. I know that feels cold, but oh, I feel if there was anything memorable, it'll work its way into things. Yeah. New month, Way. That means mm-hmm. best time of the entire month to jump onto the Post Wrestling Cafe. Fridays are turning out to be a wonderful success with the new release date, and we have so much coming out in the coming days. Tuesday, you and I are going to be back. We're going to do a special bonus show for cafe members going over the Dantaku cards, one of which is down, and the other uh, that's going to be happening in just a couple of hours with Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi on top. So we will be giving our immediate reaction on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, some New Japan exclusive reviews exclusively for Posters like Cafe members. And then we are back, as John mentioned. Well, actually, John is back. I'm actually taking this Friday off. Oh, that's but right. John, John is going to be back for our next edition of Rewind Away. What are you guys talking about? And who are you going to be talking about it with? Well, this is an exciting one, everyone. get Buckle up, because it's an MMA review. That means Way is putting his hands in the air, and he is leaving things to myself but I will not be alone because Phil Chertok and Eric Marcotte, the, the MMA arm of post-wrestling, are going to be with me for the entire show as we go back and review Affliction Band. A whole Classic. a generation ago, back when the UFC said, Affliction? No more Affliction clothing wear at our events. So Affliction said, we'll run our own show. And thus... It was Affliction banned because they had been banned from the UFC. So they staged a pay-per-view. UFC said, you know what? We're going to go live on Spike TV that night. So Affliction said, you know what? 
we've got mega fucking death playing live at the Honda Center. You know what the mm-hmm. UFC said? They said, that's pretty cool. And the Affliction Show went ahead with a astronomical payroll. Tim Sylvia, $800,000 later, fought Fedor for 36 seconds. All of that will be covered on this week's edition of Rewind Away. And, and, and chosen by Brandon from New Jersey, who I will reluctantly speak with on this show. Oh, wow. What a draw. That's the biggest one. My, my question is, will all four of you be wearing Affliction branded clothing for this review? Uh, given it's a podcast, I'll say yes. All three of us will be wearing Affliction clothing head to toe that you can envision. With a belt buckle? Affliction slippers. Affliction baseball hats, nice. affliction uh, belts with giant buckles. Yep. Stuff you that if you, you tripped, you would probably puncture your lung because of all the crap sticking out of it. What an era. What a time. So that's coming up on Friday. Um, also this week, well, it's, what else do we have coming up? We've also got the long-awaited and finally delivered edition of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show, where Nate Milton and Brian Mann will actually get back together this week, and they will finally do that review of The Rock hosting Saturday Night Live in March 2000. Two weeks late, but not a dollar short. Brian and Nate will finally come together this weekend, and since it's a quiet weekend, uh, late to the schedule, uh, myself and WH Park will be dropping a show this coming Sunday. Sunday morning with WH Park. Sunday mornings used to be for church. No, now it's the Church of Park. That is Sunday mornings at postwrestling.com. So WH and I will be dropping a show Sunday morning, plus all of our live shows. Rewind to Dynamite. We'll be live right after Blood and Guts. And then Rewind to SmackDown after Throwback SmackDown. Awesome. Very exciting. And as well, if you are a Double Double or Ice Cap or a special patron, uh, any merch benefits that you guys have signed on for, I will be sending those at some point earlier uh, towards the beginning of the month. So... Uh, now is a great time to join to get on those cues. All right. So a lot of great stuff coming up this month as well. We'll have, of course, coverage of WrestleMania, Backlash, mm-hmm. Double or Nothing, UFC from Houston, Texas. Tons and tons of stuff uh, coming up this month. It's, this weekend coming up, it's, it's a relatively uh, uneventful one, but the following weekend is insanity. We've got... Uh, We've got the UFC card. We've got the Yokohama Stadium show that New Japan is running. We've got WrestleMania Backlash. And then we've got that Tokyo Dome show at the end of the month. If all of this stays in place, of course, the state of emergency uh, could throw all of these problems if it gets extended. So that's the current schedule. A lot of stuff to drop over the next month. Are you yeah, excited a lot for what? Are you excited for May? I am, yeah. A lot of big shows. Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. Well, with that, we move on to some news items, and we're going to start off with the SmackDown numbers from Friday. This was a very big edition of SmackDown in terms of their promotion of it, built around Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. Unfortunately, the number not exactly responding to such a promotion. 2,019,000 viewers, and their 18 to 49 number fell to 0.49, their lowest of the year, uh, third lowest viewership of 2021. They were going against the second night of the NFL draft, uh, which was covered on both ABC and ESPN. Um, But hardly, I would say it was a factor. I think you definitely have to take that into consideration. But 
Also not to the level of the night prior on Thursday when you had the the first round of the draft, but still something. In Canada, though, the number was actually way up from the week prior. They went from uh, 138,000 viewers last week to 213,200 this week. So a big jump in Canada. And that kind of does show you some of the erratic nature of Canadian numbers. They were going against the Toronto Blue Jays game, uh, a Montreal Canadiens game, and... The big killer that they overcame, curling. Yeah. You know, they've got the NFL draft. We've got curling. Yeah, don't, don't, ratings don't F with curling in Canada. I'm not even joking. But uh, so, I mean, in Canada, the number was significantly up this week. But th- this has to be viewed even with the draft. I would say this was disappointing way because I think that had this been treated as a, I should say, received as a big deal because the company treated it like a big deal. I think they would have uh, overcome having the draft going on or whatever else. This was an enormous match to build up. This Does it tell you that that stipulation didn't resonate with audience members? I think so. Um, you know, it was a stipulation with a one-week build, and I really think hardly, you know, one that people took seriously. Daniel Bryan leaving SmackDown. That in itself, perhaps not that big of a deal. No. Um, did not feel all that final. And I think by this point, people realize, okay, he's probably just going to raw or something else. Yeah. I think that that is, you know, a, a realization of where stipulations are. And I think that's, that's going to be industry wide is that when the WWF has burned through so many stipulations, I think you're kind of dealing from that, that base level with a lot of your fans, even if you're an AEW like that to me, when MJF beat uh, Cody, and he couldn't have the shot at the AEW championship, the immediate reaction going in and coming out of it was, how does AEW get out of this? That's so hardwired into the fan base now is when a stipulation is introduced, how do you get around it? And it's it's going to take a long time, I think, to deliver on stipulations on a consistent basis that fans will realize when something is announced that this is significant and I should take it seriously. But as a whole, I don't think we're quite there yet when it comes to you know, stipulations like this in WWE that obviously people just see this as another match and the guy shows up on a different night of the week. I think much of it comes down to promotion as well. Like, you know, if it was this stipulation and if it was like Daniel Bryant leaving the WWE, you know, that you're building up towards uh, a WrestleMania. And I think if the internet rumor supported it and allowed people to fully believe and invest themselves in the stipulation i think it could still work the way they did it for friday uh, evidently was it enough uh the carnival ended today in uh, all japan they did an empty arena show at korakuen hall and it was god it was quite something to watch this this final day with like nobody in this arena uh it was won by uh, Jake Lee he it ended up coming down to Jake Lee and Kento Miyahara there were a bunch of there were a bunch of people alive going into the final night but you knew you were going to get the spoilers and that was pretty much uh the case uh it ended with Jake Lee first of all kicking out of the shutdown German which is a very very protected finish of Miyahara's and uh, with the win, he won with the uh, the Brainbuster, the D4C. So this should set up uh, Jake Lee going for the uh, Triple Crown Championship of Suamas on May 16th when they're running uh, in Tokyo at Oda Ward City Gymnasium. But again, the emerg- the state of emergency runs until May 11th. Uh, if that gets extended, that's going to have an impact on on that show for sure. It could potentially affect the Yokohama Stadium show that's only four days after the state of emergency is supposed to end. So 
you do have um you know that that kind of rolling target of the state of emergency ending it could have uh an impact on some of these upcoming shows but uh we'll chat more about the carnival later this week with wh i would strongly recommend uh their uh, the final was very good. I, I thought that uh, Shuji Ishikawa and Suwama had a fantastic match uh, in the second to last match. But there was a six man uh, with the strong hearts of Ashima, uh, T-Hawk and uh, Elindaman defeating Koji Iwamoto, Atsuki Aoyagi and Rising Hayato. And this thing was under 10 minutes. It was tremendous. Fantastic six man tag. So that would certainly be on my match recommendation list uh, coming out of the carnival. Um we also have um, Dontaku went down today, but I think we'll save all of our thoughts for tomorrow. But uh, night two, of course, as I mentioned, will feature Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi, a very big match uh, for the second night. And coming out of the first night, uh, the big thing was uh, Jay White winning the Never Openweight Championship. Uh, have you watched any of the, the first night? No, not yet. I'll be doing that after this podcast. All right. Well, tune in Tuesday. Uh, we will share our thoughts there. Uh, Lenny Leonard is going to be calling the women's tournament for Ring of Honor coming up this summer, which that is quite the lineup that ROH has uh, acquired when it comes to their broadcasters with Ian Riccoboni, with Caprice Coleman, uh, other people that have just uh, slid in uh, for, for guest spots. Uh, Lenny Leonard, I just think, is a, such a fantastic commentator. He's got like a legitimate job outside of wrestling that I don't even know if he would be interested in working full time uh, for a company. But when they started AEW Dark Elevation, I thought he's based in Florida. I thought he would have been the perfect person to be calling that show with Paul White, with his familiarity with the entire independent scene. He's such a tremendous talent, but um, that's ROH's gain, that Lenny Leonard is returning. Uh, he left ROH in 2009, and I think he will be um, as much of an intrigue as the, the tournament, just having that voice uh, calling wrestling. Of course, the voice of Evolve, Dragon Gate USA, um, a great talent. I'm honestly surprised he wasn't on WWE's radar after the appearance um, that he did on the network, doing some Evolve shows. Um you just, you know, think about a guy like that and how much more suited he would be for a role like, you know, what, what Adnan Verk is doing right now on Raw. And obviously they don't look for the same things, you know, that maybe are, we do as wrestling fans. But, you know, I, I just, I know the matches will probably be a lot better. better. Uh, so, you know, good luck to him. One other thing that I just have to keep way updated on is Triller. Are you aware that they are now uh, they are now seeking um, millions of dollars for what they believe was lost uh, due to piracy? So on Monday, this is from the press release that I received, Triller today announced it has opened a website for anyone who pirated the April 17th Triller Fight Club event to pay the original $49.99 pay-per-view price before June the 1st, after which the company will be pursuing individuals for the maximum civil penalty of $150,000 per illegal stream. So you can go onto this page where they ask for all of your pertinent information, including your phone number, address, postal code, give them your credit card information, pay the $49.99, and we will not come after you for $150,000. Wow. Interesting. This is, uh, um, I have never heard of something like this before in all, like, 
how much like the pay-per-view industry, like I've never seen a promotion or a provider go to this length of realistically, this is a major scare tactic. If you're someone that illegally streamed this event, um, but they're also asking you to pretty much admit to a, a crime and given all your information. So this is, I like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is unprecedented in the pay-per-view industry. Yeah, I certainly don't recall somebody doing something like that. I mean, we've seen people get sued. We've seen people um, be threatened. We've certainly seen, yes, going after uh, people like providing the stream. Like UFC has been very aggressive in that front. This is going not just specific to the user, but wanting them, giving them a 30-day period to pay and be absolved of any future uh, potential prosecution. It's it's definitely, I mean, it's very interesting. And I think, um, you know, might be successful on some levels. Um, you know, it, it when faced, I mean, it's it's like, man, um, so many court dates uh, for like small parking violations or something, right? Um, you should pay those, everybody. But, you know, this is, it's, it's you know, threatening you with something bigger. And if you do a, some sort of plea bargain deal, maybe you can get your reduced fine. Um, I don't know, it'll probably work for them. So good for them trying all this out. Did you get to see the Randy Savage documentary on Sunday? Yes, I did. Yes. So this was a documentary that people came away with, with, um, I think a lot of, a lot of thoughts on and a lot of, I would say definitely the most criticism I've seen of any of the three, uh, was the handling of this documentary, who was featured, what was featured. And I'm curious to get your thought on just the overall tone of the documentary, which was very different from hour one to, I would say the final half hour or so where it got into a lot of uh, dark elements with Randy Savage when they interviewed uh, Stephanie uh, Ballars, Gorgeous George, who was his uh, girlfriend during that that WCW period. And, you know, a lot of a, a lot of alarming, uh, d- disturbing stories that she shared about her time with Savage, where even she felt kind of conflicted of realizing this guy was uh, viewed as this. You know, significant figure in wrestling, but having these you know personal experiences with him, uh, the most shocking of which revealing that he had surveillance footage of her home without her knowledge. Yeah, that was really messed up. Well, I'm curious, what what is some of the criticism that you've heard? I mean, I saw a lot of it of re- regarding, um, you know, I, I think that in a two hour documentary, you were going to get th- certain elements that were omitted. Uh, so I saw a common critique of way too much Bubba the Love Sponge in this, which I don't disagree with. I thought him being a talking head for the amount of time uh, throughout this documentary, like it felt like watching it that the producers felt that these, these promos that Hogan and Savage were cutting on Tampa radio uh, were this big thing. And we wanted to cover it in a significant way. Like they made, they spent way more time on the Hogan Savage beef than they did like the business those two did in the 80s together in the WWF, which was extraordinary. So I think you kind of had that element that opened the door for a bubble, the love sponge to be introduced. But I was just amazed that so much he might have been the outside of uh, maybe of anyone like he might have had the most screen time on this more than Lanny Poffo, his own brother. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, they must have really just enjoyed his his uh his clips 
talking about Savage's career, I really do question perhaps the, you know, the, the choice of him for some of those parts. Um, I question his choice in general, honestly, especially like what is his status of uh, his relationship with Hulk Hogan? Do you know right now? Uh, I would imagine non-existent. I would be very curious to know if Hogan was even aware he was in this documentary or not. What do you mean? Oh, you mean Bubba? With Bubba the Love Sponge. Like you are, it almost felt like they were, like you're literally cutting back and forth between these two. And Mm -hmm. it just introduced like this giant elephant in the room. Beyond that though, I do think that there is probably a segment of the fan base that as much as we've talked about like the previous ones and how... How deep are you going to go into certain non-wrestling subjects? Uh, This was the one that was as much um, warts and all as any of them. It went into uncomfortable territory. If you're a Randy Savage fan, and I think this, you ask the larger audience, do they want a hero piece? Do they want your just wrestling career presenting this guy on a pedestal? Or do you want to go into these uh, darker places? To me, like that is part of the Randy Savage story. And like the Elizabeth stories have always been relayed by people of how possessive this man was. And like, it's, it's almost just accepted as this was part of Randy. He was a paranoid guy, but it was like a, you know, a very uncomfortable stuff to, to look at when you're assessing, like this was like near inhumane treatment of, of an individual in Elizabeth. Yeah. Well, my preference is, I mean, if it's factual, I think it definitely deserves to be addressed. So, you know, some of the criticism I would say of like the Austin one perhaps was that they were maybe a little too clean with the presentation and not diving deep enough into maybe some of the questionable parts of his history. So I I was actually really happy to hear from like Gorgeous George and, you know, um, all the time that they spent talking about Miss Elizabeth and uh, and her death with Lex Luger appearing here, I found probably among the most compelling stuff on the documentary the rest of it that was really more career focused, I I didn't take that much from it. I know that they had to have that stuff because this is very much like a biography made for perhaps even a non-fan, somebody who had not followed Randy Savage's career. But for me, it just felt like a bit more kind of surface level retread that I didn't get a whole lot of out of. Yeah, but, you know, I felt like most of the new information was in the form of maybe some of the, mm, you know, less savory parts of his life. Yeah, I get one of the glaring um, errors that they had in there was, I mean, it's it's a story that Jerry Lawler has told before. And I honestly would just imagine this is how he remembers it is the idea that one night at Raw, Randy Savage just didn't show up. And then that night he's popping up on WCW's television, which I mean, the timeline, it was basically a month in between Vince doing that farewell on Raw to Savage and Savage showing up. Uh, And this was well before Nitro had even launched. So that's one where I look at Jerry Lawler. He admittedly doesn't have a great memory, but I I don't know how that kind of just falls through the cracks unless you're just looking for, hey, it's a fun story. Let's just keep it as is, as Lawler uh, shared it. But I mean, it all comes down to what is your kind of a timeline accuracy that you're looking for in these documentaries. I just, I felt like there was a certain... uh, it just gave it with, with with so much of Bubba the Love Sponge. It just gave me like this this tabloid, uh, this this tabloid feel to the documentary at times, and I just thought way too much was spent on 
this these this war with Hulk Hogan and going into the rap stuff. It was like, is this the most pertinent? It just seemed like they came into it with an angle that this is this is Bubba the Love Sponge is this big personality in Tampa, and it's like this documentary is kind of coming with that um, that sort of perspective for uh, a part of the country that might be really into Bubba the Love Sponge and the Tampa radio wars that they had. But I didn't think it really translated to a wrestling audience as well that I think has a pretty negative uh, impression of Bubba the Love Sponge. Yeah. Well, if he was taken out of this, how would you have felt about the doll? Um, I, I, I still feel people would have come out of it, I think, somewhat conflicted of how they're supposed to feel about some of these more egregious stories involving Savage and, you know, his treatment of Elizabeth, his treatment of Gorgeous George. Um, notable by her absence was his uh, was his last wife, who was in the car when he had the, the heart attack in 2011. She was not interviewed for this. And that's sort of our window into the final years of his life where he, I don't want to say became a recluse, but within the wrestling world did. He just seemed to excommunicate himself from most people. Um, it's like in this doc, you really just had Lanny Poffo with that perspective and they did not lean too heavily on Lanny. So, I mean, with, with his uh, wife, Lynn, she also was not present when WWE finally put him into the Hall of Fame. So I don't know if it's her just a, a being a private person, did not want to speak for the documentary, or maybe just did not want... I, I don't know. I, I I can't really explain, but I thought it was pretty notable, uh, her absence uh, in this, because in the, those final years of his life, she would have been the person that could have conveyed what where he was just in a headspace because he's presented in the documentary as though he had finally gotten out of wrestling and was able to hit the off switch, uh, so to speak, from this guy that was an ultra intense individual and driven uh, to the brink with his paranoia and, and drug use. And it just seemed like it was a recipe for disaster while he was in that industry and was able to get out of it for those that, that final decade of his life. Yeah, that period after he got out of wrestling was sort of presented as his like redemptive period and, you know, very much, I think, signified with his marriage to, to Lynn. And unfortunately, you know, because of the lack of coverage, unfortunately for us, but I mean, seemingly, I think it's probably fortunate for him that he stayed out of the spotlight. Um, but, you know, we didn't really get much coverage of that in, in the documentary. And, you know, like... <laughs> people are going to have like really dark sides to their lives. And I would say at least this gave the impression that he was somewhat of a changed person. Um, maybe doesn't, you know, excuse um, a lot of what he did, but the doc at least does try to wrap things up that way. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, I mean, th there wasn't a whole lot of Vince McMahon in the, in this documentary. I mean, he was interviewed for it, but it was very, it was very brief and, you know, they, they, they glossed over a, a fair amount, and I, I thought they spent more time than I thought they would about his pre-WWF days, like the the baseball career that they got into, and I mean, that was his big passion was baseball, and then, you know, with his father's, like, uh, ICW promotion, the, the Memphis stuff, and then getting to the WWF, they, they spent a fair amount of time on that before they got to the WWF. What, what did you think about the like the WCW tenure, because a lot of that is kind of just wrapped up in like they address like steroid use, but it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of presented in a veiled fashion during his WWF tenure. 
and then really extrapolates in WCW. That's the way it comes off in the documentary that in WCW, he just went wild and got to an unreasonable size. And I mean, I mean, this was somebody that I think you can look at and, and see that uh, transformation. But to think that, the, I mean, you had Vince McMahon right there saying when he first got there into the company, he's a bit small. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you had Gorgeous George straight up say like he was on steroids. And I think like, you know, the, the conversation about him having veins upon veins was, I believe. Veins in his eyes, veins in his yep. his eyelids. Pretty much kind of spelled it to you. But, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, I feel like you you probably assume that, you know, this stuff was. I mean, they had Hogan saying, was it Hogan who said that? Who said who said that he. Oh, it was Jake. It was Jake who was asked about the steroids. And he says, um. He never saw him use steroids, but if you asked him, and he's been wrong before, but if you ask him, he would say yes. So I feel like at least it was uh, at least hinted. Um, not honestly, nothing that's all that surprising. You know, I don't think to anybody at this point, especially not, not on the, not on the steroid use. I guess you would be. Yeah. You know, it seemed like he was very heavy into ecstasy once he was. You know, with with gorgeous George. I mean, and I mean when you well, you was just very honest. She was that. she was very open about how messed up she was, and you even get the sense from the wrestlers interviewed about like the level of like how deep they they were into it. Like you could see, like those two appeared to be in a real bad way. Um, and Gorgeous mm-hmm. George is only in WCW for a couple of months. She's introduced, I think it's the end of '98 is when Savage shows up with her. And then she's on TV throughout 99. And then that promo that they ran, the one from October, where George says they were totally high for the promo, that's the, they disappear after that. And then Savage shows up one more time in the spring of 2000. And that's his last appearance in WCW. So it's, it's pretty much like December to October is that period that uh, Gorgeous George is around in WCW. Although she would, um, hang around pro wrestling for several years after in, you know, different independents and such. It's amazing that made it onto TV. Like, man, with those two in that condition, it was really very sad to see. Um, yeah. So what, what, uh, so what did you think overall about the documentary? I mean, it's, it was a very bizarre documentary. I thought that like the, just the tonal shift was, I thought pretty glaring where it's, Going in one direction where you do feel it's just kind of focused so heavily on th- this this wrestling superstar. But isn't and, that the shift in his life? His glory days were in the 80s. And then after that, it was like, I guess some some success maybe in the 90s. But then, mm, I don't know. How much more could you really say? I mean, it's it's very difficult because I think you are, I mean, you obviously do not have... Uh, an Elizabeth to, to speak to, to, to share like what those years were like in the WWF and being married to Randy Savage. Like, I'm sure those were like everyone kind of, you know, it was pretty consistent. Like the vibe of Randy Savage was this guy who was a perfectionist to an obsessive degree and was wired way too tight, but it also like, he was an extremely gifted performer, um, memorable character, all time memorable character, um, and that's, that's really how he's positioned. But I think that this does, uh, put a spotlight on uh, the good and the bad of, of this indiv- individual. And it's kind of gorgeous George that I think is the one that is going to 
shine that light the brightest because of her her firsthand involvement. We didn't hear from you know anybody else that had that close of a personal relationship with him. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, three documentaries, and I I think these are interesting talking points just to kind of like see what another company outside of WWE directly you know handles these sort of topics for a mainstream audience. Can't really say I think they're very. I think they're great documentaries in the least. I, I find them somewhat generic and, um, you know, on the one hand, a bit surface level on the other hand, maybe, um, not as deep as maybe you'd like. So they kind of exist somewhere in, in the middle. And I could just say maybe not really the type of documentary made for somebody like me, but, uh, somebody might enjoy them. All right. Uh, I also wrote a lengthy review on the site. If you want to go check that out on the uh, the Savage documentary uh, next week, they're doing uh, Booker T. So that will be uh, the subject uh, covered. But the big news story before we get to Raw way on Monday, we got the announcement of phase four. That's right. Yes. Marvel phase four. Well, I mean, more more of a. I think a reminder of phase four and maybe some. Um, uh, release title, dates, release dates, and, and title uh, renames. So yeah, they announced a whole lot of stuff. Pretty much like they've announced like stuff through May of 2023. Mm-hmm. It's like two it's years getting... worth of stuff that they have announced. Yeah, and this is not even including the Disney Plus stuff. So. No, like when you look at both, it's I did not realize that um, that What If series that's coming out in the summer. I just assumed it was going to be a, a relative episode length that we've had for these other series, like with uh, Winter Soldier or, um, yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier with uh, WandaVision. It's listed as 23 episodes. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Wow. That, that's what, I, at least on this, the article that I read, it listed 23, 23. episodes, which is, uh, 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 anyway. Um, well, it's animated, so maybe we can expect them. I don't know how long they'll be. But, yeah. Um, yeah, wow. There's there's going to be something to talk about on MCU later. Pretty much like the entire next two years. What what jumps out at you of uh, some of these films? Like Black Widow is the first one that's coming out in July, followed by mm. Shang Chi and the Eternals in November, and then Spider Man No Way Home at the end of the year on December seventeenth. I'm very excited for the Eternals, especially now that Chloe Zhao is a Academy Award winning director. That um, you know, and the buzz behind the scenes seems to be that this is going to be like one of Marvel's best films. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I'm also looking for doc- to, forward to Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, seeing how that ties into WandaVision. Uh, I'm looking forward to Spider-Man and seeing how the various Spider-Man from the past tie into this one. So there's definitely something like I'll be watching all of these for sure. Black Panther is the big one for me for, for next July. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be incredible. Oh, they all have really interesting stories attached to every single one of them, for sure. If okay, how how about this? Which MCU release do you think you will get to watch at a movie theater on its like opening weekend? Okay, so what is it? Uh, Black Widow is Bla- Black Widow is July 9th, Shang-Chi is September 3rd, Eternals November 5th, and Spider-Man December 17th. Of those four, which I'm do you think is it- Realistic. I'm ho- well, I'm hoping it's Shang- Shang-Chi. You know, I'm hoping they, they open up by then for us in September. I actually got my shot uh, booked today. Oh, that's I'm great. A, I'm in a hot spot. So, yeah, um, I'm going to get my shot, some, my first shot at least this week. 
um, and hopefully more people to come. So, I mean, it's all really kind of up to supply and rollout at this point. So on Saturday, um, uh, my wife's friend who lives on our street called and her sister-in-law is a nurse and said that there's a, there's a place that has excess doses um, that is – it was limited to one postal code, but they're going to just – anyone who shows up can get it. Dude, we hightailed it on Saturday night to this school, and we got there, and the outside, the lineup, dude, hundreds, hundreds of people were in line. I was like, this, this does not seem like a wise idea, and thus we gave up. I, I went through that like myself a few weeks ago. It was like it's been crazy where it's been it really is does feel like you're buying sneakers, you know. <laughs> hey, they got some extra like supply here. Get there right now and then you just see this massive lineup. It's been a pretty ridiculous, laughable way of rolling out like life saving medicine. Um, but thankfully today was a lot smoother. All right, well there you go. Phase four, uh you and WH are good for uh now until two thousand twenty three. Yeah, we'll definitely get you in there for the big releases. You're not off the hook, John. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll do I'll do Black Panther. I'm gonna predict right now that if if movie theaters are like operating at a hundred percent, I think the opening for Black Panther is gonna be one of the biggest openings for a movie ever. Oh, it would have been that regardless of, um, I mean, you know, the unfortunate news of Chadwick Boseman. But yeah, like for sure. The crazy thing is, I don't even think they've started filming that, and that's supposed to come out. Like about a year from now, so two years. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, you're right. Yeah, year. 2022. I keep forgetting what year we're in. Yeah, we're, they haven't even started filming this. I don't believe so. Damn. I mean, because well, Ryan Coogler, like, he had a whole script ready, and then he found out about Chad Chadwick Boseman's death. So a lot mm. had to change. So I don't know how far exactly they might be in production. They might be holding a lot that we they're not telling us. All right, and MCU later is returning for Loki, correct? Yeah, in June. Yeah. All right. Well, now it is time to get into Raw from Monday night. And we started things off with Adam Pierce, Sonya Deville, and MVP talking about tonight's match where Bobby Lashley will take on either Braun Strowman or Drew McIntyre. And we're here to flip a coin. And Braun walks in. They argue about last week where Braun pinned Drew. They flip the coin. For everyone that was disappointed with the uh, the lack of a coin toss for the parlay, you got your wrestling coin toss this Who week. Who is disappointed at the lack of... Like, are there people that are actually disappointed at the lack of coin toss? Probably war zero people. Match? But WWE was here to fulfill uh, an imaginary need. Braun called Tails, and he won. So he will face Bobby Lashley. Yes. Yep. Exciting. Set your three hours aside. Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley coming up tonight. Drew warns Strowman about a Claymore. MVP says Braun isn't even going to make it to Backlash after tonight. AJ Styles and Omos are back. They came out after a drum roll. And they said AJ had to say that tonight New Day gets a Raw Tag Team Championship WrestleMania rematch that even he noted was quite the mouthful. He said they went, on, they went to party after WrestleMania off the coast of the Caribbean. And they had better things to do than throwing tomatoes. New Day comes out. Like clockwork, we win the tag titles back every time. Kofi brings up Kofi Mania and how 
After winning the title at WrestleMania, he showed up on Raw the next night, even though he was on SmackDown. That's the kind of champion he is. Unlike AJ and Omos, who took off. Omos says, I've had enough of you morons joking around. I obviously didn't knock enough sense into you. You're not going to be able to laugh or walk after tonight. Wood says, tonight we're going to become 12-time champions which is the most important number of championships to hold. And then as they go to the graphic, you can still hear Omos as New Day enters the ring. Arm's length, bro. Arm's length. I'm starting to really enjoy Omos and some of his interplay. He's definitely getting to show more personality. So, um, yeah, that was... uh... That was okay. I honestly like I can't say I had any sort of feeling from watching any of this. There's really nothing bad about it, but also nothing good. I just really felt like it was a lot of generic wrestling words being said by two generic wrestling teams. So we had the tag title match, the uh the big raw tag team championship WrestleMania rematch. Omos starts off the match, he's just tossing woods around. Kingston throws kicks. He's not selling them, and he just lays them both out with a double clothesline. Kofi Kingston leaped to the top for this trust fall to the floor, and he like came down to the side of AJ, and dude, this guy just crashed into the floor. Yeah. This was it's a, a danger. It's a dangerous move. There was no trust here, uh, or maybe too much trust. Uh, Kofi then hit this jumping knee uh, that looked like it caught AJ on the replay. Omos just takes over, attacking both, tree slam on Kingston, he hits a big boot on Woods, and the end comes when AJ tags himself, and he comes off the shoulders of Omos with a phenomenal forearm, pinning Woods in 11 minutes and 41 seconds. Corey Graves says, at this rate, they may be champions forever. At this rate, they are one for one in title defenses. This could be an infinity reign by AJ Styles and Omos. They will overcome the aging process. In time itself, I think. This is an unbelievable uh, trait that they have been able to acquire. Um, I will say they gave Omos a lot in this match. This was not the WrestleMania formula where AJ works the match and Omos comes in for the big spot at the end. Like He was in here for... He started the match. He started the match, but... I felt like it was the same type of match that you saw at WrestleMania, where it was just the New Day bumping off of him for his very basic 80s moves. Uh, there, there was more of him in here. I mean, he didn't really screw anything up. It was just, I mean, it was just very basic offense that they're keeping him to. I, I just felt like watching this, I had the very same complaints I had at WrestleMania, where I feel like this sort of like textbook giant booking might have worked in like a territory somewhere in the 70s, but our in ring expectations for big men these days is so far beyond I think what Omos is capable of now it's very difficult for me to be impressed by a tall guy delivering a backbreaker or a body slam you know as his big move in 2021 when you can see Keith Lee on the same show doing flips over the top rope who's that Uh, a guy who used to be on Raw yeah I, I just you know this type of push is so outdated and I think it's a little too much for for this almost dude. Um, the personality looks like he definitely has one, but in ring, it's just he's at a level that is so below the standard from what we've seen. Unless he's really holding back. 
Well, get ready because they're going to be champions forever. So you better adjust your expectations. Okay, I will. DeVille is with Charlotte. She's going to take her request under advisement. Pierce comes in and says, what was that all about? Don't worry about it. And Pierce is upset. She is overstepping her boundaries. So we continue the dissension between DeVille and Pierce. Then we got a vignette for the returning Eva Marie, who was on top of a Ferrari and said, you know, on the road of life, there are twists and turns, but I've always tried to be the one in control of my own life and the independence that comes with it. But part of that is giving back. She wants to influence and help others. She is going back to where her journey began. This is evolution. Was she a part of the system? Did, did, was she, that she, she, she was, her first uh, work was on Total Divas. Like, that's where they introduced her. No, I meant like when, like this recent coming back, was this a surprise or had we missed, like, am I forgetting like a, the announcement that she, she returned? Oh, it was reported that she was back and she had been training, but right. not on television. Right. They had announced anything. Got it. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing, honestly. Like <laughs> they they see something, they see a lot in in her that obviously I guess the rest of us haven't seen yet. Um, I I think if there's going to be any sort of in ring component to this character, she unless she's become incredible in her training these past few years. I do feel like her potential will be limited because again, there's such a different standard now. And as much as they like, man, they, I don't know. They want to bring things back to a different time. It's, it's just different, but we'll see, you know, maybe the character is amazing that they had planned. And, and what is there? Like, obviously this is a different mentality they have. Like, like you look at Mickey James and what was the biggest thing going against her from their mindset. It was her age. And like Eva Maria's, five years younger than Mickey James. And I believe me, don't think that is right, that there was plenty uh, with, with Mickey James. But I mean, to me, they obviously see something here in Eva Marie, which I mean, listen, if she comes in and impresses great, but it, it seems like that is, you know, you, you had someone in Mickey James where I just felt like there, there was a lot left there uh, to do uh, well, with someone that is proven. I mean, what about Chelsea Green? Like what about Peyton Royce? You know, like there was still plenty of potential, I think, with with both of them. That mm, again, we haven't seen Eva Marie, so maybe we should reserve judgment until we see that first match. Caleb Braxton was with Bobby Lashley and MVP. This was the first of like a dozen MVP promos about this match tonight. He said Man, the there pro- were there were a lot of them. And they oh. all basically said the same thing. There was a like they they it felt like they doubled up on like Drew and Roman interactions backstage too. Like it was a lot of the same type of segment. He had Kayla. nothing to say in any of these. And also we had no yeah. Kevin Patrick on the show. So Kayla was in like five thousand interview segments tonight. She was in a lot, yeah. So he said Bronze Luck after winning the coin toss ends. He could eat a salad full of four-leaf clovers, followed by a rabbit foot stew. He still won't have enough luck to beat Bobby Lashley. You know, words you would totally associate with the MVP character stating in a heated message. Four, a salad of four-leaf clovers and a rabbit's foot? I mean, I thought it was a fun, cute line, but... Uh, yeah, I, they, they were relying on him a lot, 
on this show. Elias and Jackson Riker are hiding behind a pillar in the back and spotting the New Day selling from their earlier match, and they've got a bucket of tomatoes. They start launching the tomatoes in the New Day's direction. Cut to... Cut to Randy Orton, who has somehow gotten in the line of fire, and the tomatoes hit Randy Orton. And I guess he was, like, invisible as he entered in their way, and they still kept throwing them? Showed up from out of nowhere. Yeah, so there you have it. Riddle then scooted past him, and this would set up a tag match for later tonight. Charlotte Flair versus Dana Brooke, a match five years in the making. I wrote Dana Brooke has theme music, and then Flair starts pie-facing her. And did you catch her words? Oh, I did, yeah. You're still my bitch. I think this was an improvised use. She of she snuck thing. she snuck it in. She snuck mm. it in. Yeah. Um, Brooke went for a handspring into a head scissors. That was followed by what Corey Graves described as a bit of a drop kick to the shoulder of Flair. Mm. Sure. Yeah. There was a sunset flip stopped. Brooke gets stomped. Then Flair boots her. There's a, a pair of handspring elbows into the corner by Dana Brooke, and then a swanton is hit. She goes for another handspring, but ends up, while she's upside down, getting chop-blocked, and then put in the figure eight for the submission in 413. It it was pretty ambitious, like, doing the chop-block mid-handspring, and um, I don't know if it turned out all that well, but I, I think they crafted a decent story out of it with her trying it multiple times and, you know, having it beaten in the last end. Um, okay, match. Mandy Rose came in to break the submission and sent Charlotte to the floor. So DeVille comes out, and after the break, she states that Flair uh, is going to make a proposal. Flair explains how she ended Asuka's streak three years ago, and she put Rhea Ripley on the map. Ripley stole her spot at WrestleMania, and thus I want to be added to the women's title match at Backlash to make the pay-per-view a bigger deal. I'm an influencer. I am the original influencer in the WWE and compares herself to Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian. Yeah, because because um, she knows about friends who ride coattails and become famous. Like Kim did to Paris, I guess. Um, okay. I, I always associated Paris much more with Nicole Richie than I did Kim Kardashian. But um, I did too. But Kim's more famous, arguably, than... Any of them now. Oh, today? Sure. Yeah. And then says, love me or hate me, the division needs me. Which was the alternate lyrics for uh, Lady Sovereign. It's the B-side. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that song. DeVille yep. says she made a compelling argument. and says the men are going to have a triple threat. Therefore, so will the women. It's a triple threat. Rhea Ripley comes out. And she calls this absolute crap. No one likes Charlotte. I'm confident I can beat Asuka because I already did, which should be the slogan for the match. That's a real tagline that sells. Come see the match you've already seen a finish for. Asuka then comes out. Asuka has just, this character has just lost me now. It's just like, go out and be crazy. That's essentially the role she's playing. 
She yells that this is crap and then mocks Charlotte crying like a baby and says, I can beat both of them because I'm ready to be Raw Women's Champion. Flair says they both lost their minds once presented with a curveball. And then Rhea complains to DeVille. They fight. Asuka sends them out and Charlotte smiles. I think they've just given up trying to write dialogue for her. And so they just like... Yeah, she says Oscar promo. That's it. Oscar cut an Oscar style promo for us. Gotcha. Yeah. I I I continue to like enjoy Charlotte's new delivery. I think she's being an effective heel. I'm intrigued by what's going on with her and Sonya Deville. Um I'm a little disappointed that you know we continue to have Rhea Ripley just I think she still has I don't a know what she poor, is poor confused sense of of who she is supposed to be we have a confused sense of who is she supposed to be she doesn't really come out here and really establish a whole lot before asuka interrupts her um and i think it's somewhat troublesome when you have somebody wearing a belt and she feels like the most kind of minimized background player in the entire three-way uh so you know like she's still so young in this like roster that in time she'll develop but i have a feeling like years down the road we'll get like the Rhea Ripley 24, well, she talks about this run being like, I had the belt, but I didn't know who I was. Like, it was, it'd be one of those things, because she clearly looks lost, and I think we're lost trying to understand what the character is supposed to be. After losing the championship at WrestleMania Backlash, Rhea Ripley then ran into Lily. <laughs> That's what's next. Her career hit a riptide. How's that going to work? I mean, it probably won't be because she's she. I just can't believe Rhea Ripley is a heel. Like what? I mean, what is she in this? It's like she's, she's the heel with Oscar, but she comes off as the baby face with Charlotte. It's like she's the lesser heel of the two. It that's a death roll. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, in the end, you just like don't really care about her. You know. Anyway, and it just it's a reminder that like whoever is in charge of booking her right now does not watch NXT at all. Because there's really like very little that's that's carried on from that to now. Kayla interviewed Umberto Carrillo. Says that Seamus is bullying everyone and he knows how it feels to be bullied. He won't be disrespected. He's not afraid. And then he gets jumped from behind and drilled into the equipment. And Seamus assumes he's out for the night and won't be able to answer the open challenge. Surprise, surprise, Seamus. Pierce is pissed at DeVille for making this women's match. This is beyond abuse of power. DeVille defends saying, I sent you a text, but it was an urgent decision that could not wait. Even though we saw the scene where Sonya was going to take Charlotte's request under advisement from earlier that Adam walked in on. But then she agrees, we'll make decisions together. Miz and Morrison are out. Morrison called himself America's Moist Wanted. Because he's Johnny Drip Drip. It's pretty funny. Miz for the 5,000th consecutive week listed off all the championships and accolades he has had and puts himself alongside John Cena, The Rock, Hogan, and Austin, and yet gets no respect. Priest comes out for his match, noting that where he's from in New York City, Miz wouldn't last 10 seconds and I'm going to break your jaw, which is a great promo on The Miz, but he was not facing The Miz tonight. He was facing John Morrison. Well, he's looking towards the future. A future jaw-breaking is coming. Yeah. Uh, so this match, 
There was one real clunky spot where Morrison was going for a leg sweep, but before he extended the leg to sweep him, Priest just flopped to his back and Morrison kind of just went with it. After that, it was fine. Miz distracted on the apron, uh, leading to a one-man Spanish fly by Morrison. The starship pain gets blocked. Morrison again gets on the apron, but this time Morrison gets a cradle and Miz is distracting the referee he turns around priest kicks out comes back and hit the lights for the win in 851 and then he stares down the miz or more specifically he was eyeing that jaw yeah i guess he was yeah we're getting a bit closer to priest versus miz here um maybe aside from that little spot i thought it was a decent little match it was fine yep and i guess priest and miz uh we continue this this blood feud I mean, we ex- we had expected it, didn't we, after WrestleMania? You know, this is to be WrestleMania backlash. This is sort of the next logical step. Um, ah, it's just taken a bit, a little while to get here. We have a new ro- signing on Raw. Pierce has signed Mansoor from Main Event and 205 Live. Which means 205 oh. Live is now down to what, like, six people? Maybe five? I didn't realize, like, people were exclusive to, like, those shows. Well... Not officially, just by circumstance, they end up becoming the roster on 205 Live. 205 Live seriously revolves around like six people every week. Sheamus enters the room. Uh, he doesn't think Carrillo's going to answer the challenge, and he has no idea who this guy Mansoor is. He says, I'm a Raw superstar just like you. So Sheamus suggests that he answer the challenge. And then Kayla talks to MVP. And we move on. <laughs> This is the best. We go to commercial and we come back and there's a match going on. I thought I missed something. I literally rewound because I thought I had missed the part where this started. We are just like dropped in the middle of Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin against Grand Metalik and Lince Dorado. Uh, Benjamin hits this massive back body drop to Grand Metalik, who got extremely high. Dorado goes for this quebrada, landing on his feet, and Shelton Benjamin hits an inside-out clothesline. There's a tornado DDT for Dorado. Alexander is sent to the floor, and then Dorado hits him with a springboard high cross. Metalik then scales the top rope, elbow to Benjamin in 4 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, there was no mention of Randy Savage for this top rope elbow that Grand Metalik hit. Well, I guess Savage never did it off the rope itself, right? No, he didn't scale the rope, but... Um, yeah. A uh, de- so de- decent match, just completely cold uh, and dropped in the center here, and more so designed for what was to come. Yeah, honestly, I don't even know why we comment on the quality of the matches. Like, it doesn't matter. So, unless it's, like, really exceptional, and unless they build it up, like maybe Roman versus Brian, none of these matches are worth watching. None of them. They're, there's nothing special about any of them that you haven't seen before. The results don't matter. So, we don't even... We shouldn't even, like... Imagine giving star ratings to this shit like that. What a waste of time. So just like, just ignore like the quality. Um, anyway, that, that would have like been a great speech for Adam Pierce to give Mansoor after <laughs> the contract is signed. None of this matters. So, so they're a bit closer. So what are they doing? Like they're doing Lucha house party for the next title shots, I guess like that. They'll probably lose. Cause they're, they've been complete afterthoughts, you know, they win here and then they just kind of get like, yeah, they, they, um, they can fly and crash into Omos. Sure. Okay. All right. But uh, big story here. Big Big story. Cedric Alexander grabs the microphone. He says, Shelton, listen, 
We got kicked out of the Hurt Business. Okay, we don't get an entrance. We don't get music. But now, Shelton, we don't even have a coming up next matchup board. That's how far we've fallen, Shelton. We're joined in progress. But there's no progress. We are at the bottom. We are at the goddamn bottom. You're going to confuse people to think that they actually cut such a great promo. I'm interpreting what he meant. (laughs) He says, the Hurt Business didn't kick me out. They kicked you out, which is... No, they, they very much kicked you out, Cedric. Shelton, you were the weak link of the group. How many years have you been here? How many years do you have left? I'm in the prime of my life, and I'm not going to waste another second. I am ending this team. Mm-hmm. So that's it, Way. The end of the rejects of the Hurt Business. Unfortunately. So it seems like they're breaking off to a singles feud between these two. And, uh, well, at this point, where else do you go, right? But feud them together. I will say, I think the story has potential. I really, I loved what you interpreted, John. And if they had actually said what you had said, that would have been even better. But what they did say, I actually thought was pretty good. For the first time in a long time, we are getting some real meat for Cedric and Shelton as characters. Um, I look forward to the match, but I have grave concern about what follows either of them, whoever goes on after this cuz I, I i don't know <laughs> i think it's a real problem that it's just one like surefire shot in the arm that wrestling has always been able to have is you introduce a new act a new performer and you can give them a few wins and it's exciting for the program that there's someone new in the mix that creates all of these new matches new directions and i think you have the opposite in raw that You can look at this and it's six weeks from now. Are either of these two going to be in any better position? Six weeks from now, is Mansoor going to be this big baby face on Raw? Like it's where the viewer needs to be proven wrong now. Like you could do some great things with these people, but you're working from behind the eight ball where the expectation is that a Mansoor, a Cedric, a Shelton Benjamin, they are going to be slotted in the position where... They are meaningless on this show. We've seen the the type of people that I think we've learned to take seriously and the types of people that we know not to take seriously. And unfortunately, most of the time, it comes down to size on Raw. And um, I can't really say for either Shelton, Cedric, nor Mansoor, I have such high hopes beyond you know this initial burst. So then I had all these technical problems. So I might need your help here because... As I'm watching, I was watching Sportsnet 360 on my my computer. Mm -hmm. And as this scene begins, my screen flickers. And on it came Raw versus SmackDown from PlayStation 3. Because we got this storyline where Angel Garza walks in with a rose. And he walks past Drew Gulak, who says, I thought you were a ladies man. You can't even score. Want to have a match? I'm going to beat you up and shove this rose up your ass. Snap. Match. Made. Mm-hmm. Well, at the very least, I think it's a variation of the, the use of bitch in a promo. Um, You know, this was a favorite of the Attitude Era, threatening somebody with sodomy. 
Um, <laughs> you got to, you know, go back to the classics once in a while. Well, um, they clearly had a plan in mind for this. Uh, they wished to have. I didn't know they were going to literally like do it, but man, wow, they did. The company that went crazy over my hole. You didn't think that they were going to at least be open to this idea. I mm. pardon the pun. Yeah. They wish Dwayne Johnson a happy birthday. And then it's like the first time they've mentioned this show on, on raw young rock has been picked up for season two. It's a fun show. It's inoffensive. It's 22 minutes of your life that it's fine. It's okay. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> the best description of the show. Yeah. Shelton's yeah. in the back. Um, any, did you want to wish Dwayne Johnson a happy birthday? He's 49. Oh, no. No, of course. Happy birthday to The Rock. Seems like such a great dude. Seems like such a great guy. He's yeah. got a presidential run coming up in 11 years. All right. Um, well, I'll look forward to that circus. Um, I actually really like this segment. Uh, Benjamin was interviewed by Kayla. And you're you're asking me questions that I can answer? He says, I've survived. Because I can take the hit. I've seen many young stars come and go. Cedric Alexander was in the Hurt Business because I saw something in him. Not Bobby, not MVP, me. He's a grown man, but he will respect me. And I'm going to let him say his piece, but if he continues, he's going to be another young star fizzling out, and I'm going to continue to survive. This was more character definition for Shelton Benjamin than we have had in his entire comeback since 2016. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I, again, you know, it was really nice to finally see like somebody like Shelton be able to have some story that he could sink his teeth into. I thought he cut a great promo here. I would argue that this was, this might've been the best thing on the show. Um, I don't think what else there was. <laughs> Let, let's, let's put in the context, everyone. This was about 45 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm not disagreeing with you. Mm -hmm. Angel Garza and Drew Gulak. So the pants come off immediately. So you know how long this thing's going. He attacks Gulak. And then Angel Garza, who I think is a very talented performer. He mounts Gulak. And he is throwing these punches that, dude, they are whiffing by miles. Oh, I didn't these watch that looked, closely. Honestly. These looked really bad. Hmm. He does a double underhook backbreaker, but then Gulak gets this bulldog choke that Garza fights to escape, kicking off the turnbuckle, and then hits the wing clipper to win in 218. He takes the rose, and I'm writing my notes that the announcers actually believe he's going to shove it up his ass. Well, he lets Drew smell the rose, and then he puts it down Drew's pants, before he PKs the Rose, presumably up his ass. <laughs> this was the closest we've had to, like, a sodomy reference on Raw uh, in some time. Yeah, once in a while. Um, I guess since Road Dog's pump handle. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, it's. You Wait, know, how do you feel at 37 to be breaking down... <laughs> Uh, this for a living. Well, I just know like throughout my history of watching pro wrestling, uh, raw specifically, there are moments that I definitely do remember where we really get to see 
the full brunt of Vince McMahon at his most childish. Uh, sometimes it makes its way onto TV. You know, sometimes it doesn't make its way past, you know, the, the brain trust who's like, Hunter's like, are you sure, Pop? Are you sure you want to do this, Pop? And then Vince is oh, like, so, yeah, Sorry, Paul? Hello? Hey, Roddy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, pretty hot down there. Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep this gag going for about two minutes. Yeah, yeah, I know it's not that funny. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of disturbing. Yes, yes, I know. This is, uh, this is very bizarre. Uh, we're gonna, uh, yeah, okay. Okay, bye. Well, nobody was there to stop him from putting that on camera, that scene. But anyway, so for this... Did did you find that to be um, an awkward um, part of the Savage documentary where they had um, the guy from Billions, who was also featured very prominently in the documentary? That was super inappropriate when he was talking about, like... like and, And at this point... I, I blame him, but I also blame the producer. They left it cutting. in. They left it like, in. It was, well, why would you cut to that right after you have like such heartfelt messages about his I, death? I thought that was know? completely tone deaf. Like it was to yeah. me, it was like he was doing like a stand up act and I thought it totally. This is I, where I really question the production of this show. Okay. It's, it's really not a great documentary, I have to say. But then the production choices of like using the Vince clip uh, off the top of the Piper thing and then the Savage clip at like arguably that documentary is kind of most serious. It almost feels like they were kind of like. We should remind that the, it is different producers working on all the like they have like outsourced different producers for all the documentaries, but it's in cooperation with WWE and A and E. So each one has its own producer. Yes, they have. Is there their an own executive producers. producer? It's with a not final like edit. Um, like I'm sh- like there's WWE and A A and E. Like, like is there somebody like, overseeing all of it? I mean, the executive producers are like different for each one. Really? Wow, that's really unusual. But okay, well then they can all like I'm sure there there is a team that is overseeing the entire uh, eight documentaries right. from WWE and AEW. Regardless, AD, but they a couple are of them, they can be they can be shitty across the board, I suppose. But yeah, it's like that was super awkward, and it was almost like they wanted to expose whoever was saying that to make them look bad. And the the guy did look bad. It was a stupid thing to say. Anyway, well, when you think about it, like back. yeah. Anyway. Um, back to the rose up. The back ass. to this. You know, my whole point is once in a while we get these glimpses of Vince McMahon and his most seven year old brain uh, abilities. And it's like it comes out in the form of Katie Vick. It comes out in the form of his son getting his testicles shocked uh, like throughout the mid 2000s, like all the shit with Jim Ross, all the kiss my ass club that he I was, like was going to be the father of Stephanie's baby. Remember that? Yeah. I feel like we've tempered that side of Vince for quite a while, but it made it a oh, it's slight alive. return. Yeah, it made a return tonight where we have an angle now of a man shoving a rose up another man's, his opponent's ass, Drew Gulak's uh, in particular. And uh, man, doing it in uh, man devastating fashion. This should be the new finisher. You know what? And the, the fact that we're talking about it, they will consider this a success. The same thing with Nia Jax. Oh, he's got a personality now. He's the guy who sticks roses up people's ass. Yeah. Uh, it works. He'll come out to seal. Oh, Riddle. Oh, God. This segment. Riddle meets the Viking Raiders. So, this is how many weeks? They've been back three weeks, and this is where the Viking Raiders are, everybody. They are background for Riddle to ask them about the NFL draft. Are you guys fans of the Raiders or the Vikings? Eric says, I'm a Browns fan. Eric explains, We are Vikings that raid. This is the most character development these two have had. We are Vikings that raid. How stupid is that? 
that sentence right there. They they think they're literal Vikings. That raid. I mean, raid what? Uh, raid uh, like they raid mosquitoes like with spray. I don't know. So Riddle then gets bored of this conversation. Unfortunately, I did not have a scooter to exit it, uh, but Riddle did. So he went to his next subject, which was Orton, who informed him, "I'm not your bro," which was the line that Goldberg legit used on on Riddle. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So anyway, borrow that should have been the team. You know, they should have a Goldberg comeback for this. Oh my God! Yeah, Goldbro, Broberg. Goldbro. Yes. He says, uh, he goes on about how they're undefeated. They're 1-0. and Orton suggests they win one more match. Riddle's blabbering on, and he just tells them to zip it. So we get Orton and Riddle against Elias and Jackson Riker, featuring week two of the Symphony. Yeah. Got the Symphony. Your favorite move. Uh, it was second to, uh, as Corey Graves described it, a Greco-Roman eye poke that Randy used on Jackson Riker. I guess Graves is being facetious, but he called it a Greco-Roman eye poke, but he did it in such a serious way. Um, they got the heat on Riddle till he hit a ripcord knee. Orton got the tag, dumped Elias on the on the desk, and then it was a draping DDT floating bro combo as Riker is laid out with the RKO. Riddle pins Elias in five sixteen, and I'll say for the second week, um, they they have a chemistry like this. If you had crowds, they'd be getting into these two after two matches. Orton makes it work, man. Orton is like... Orton plays off him really well. Mm-hmm. And this has been the most tolerant, I think, people are of Riddle in this role, I, having a straight man. I would even say it kind of makes Riddle enjoyable here. You know, they've, they've got to create balance between the two. And I think Orton is just very smart in knowing how to make it work. And you know what? Riddle, to play this type, he's very good at it. He's like like SpongeBob, I guess. <laughs> he's SpongeBob, uh, like annoying. Um, who's the the dude? Squid Squidward. I guess that makes Orton Squidward. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, exactly. it's working. Yeah. Kayla says, "My five thousandth goddamn guest joining me at this time, Drew McIntyre. Drew, talk. He doesn't care who wins tonight." And, and then is asked about Mason Teabag, as he calls him. And this was actually very funny. Drew asked all the questions that like we would be asking, like, who are these guys? Why are, are they aligned with MVP? Are they not? Uh, why did they take off the masks? Why did they keep their old names? Who cares? I feel like he is truly asking these questions himself. I, I, I get the sense Drew is very much somebody who probably gets like some free reign about what he gets to say in his promos now. And it's actually and like it, it, it comes across like he sounds more natural than most anyone. He is putting some real logical thought as if he was somebody watching the show about what people would say. Because I think on paper, I am assuming they don't they're not giving him a whole lot. Braun walks in. You wouldn't believe this, but he's going to win a backlash. Sheamus versus Mansoor. Mansoor went for La Magistral, which was just begging to be called. Lamont sewer straw cradle. I wasn't doing the begging, but sure. Mansoor gets dropped by the timekeepers area. And the story of this match was Mansoor getting annihilated, but he kept fighting back. He then made his comeback 
I, I thought he did fine here with his babyface comeback. He hit a tornado DDT. Mm-hmm. The moonsault gets stopped. He's hit with white noise. Sheamus gets cut on the forehead somewhere in all of this. When Umberto Correa runs in and attacks Sheamus for the DQ, hits a suicide dive, and it ends with a brogue kick to Carrillo and a brogue kick to Monsoor. So there you go. You're, you're hot babyfaces. And Sheamus holds up the belt. I really like Monsoor. I he, think he's... He's looked... Like, he's a good performer. He's... He had that great think, match with Cesaro on one of the Saudi Arabia shows. I think he's very charismatic. And the way he was able to control that Saudi crowd, I thought was very impressive for somebody of his, um, I guess, experience level. He seemed incredibly comfortable. And I think he's probably got above average acting ability for somebody in the WWE. Definitely above average improvisational and impression ability from what we've seen on his oh, uh, watch alongs. Right. The Moro <laughs> impression, which was pretty spot on. Yeah, so I think they definitely have somebody with them here, uh, something something with him here that I felt like they would have done the upset, or at least made him look a bit stronger than I think they did. Yes, they did somewhat protect him by not having Sheamus pin him, but a great having, protection on well, this but, show. I don't know if that's protection. I don't think so either, because like by having Carrillo come out here and then having essentially creating a, a you know in the audience's mind a two on one with Carrillo and Mansoor against you know Sheamus, you're essentially like re-pigeonholing Mansoor as just another cruiserweight who needs to team up with another cruiserweight to equal a heavyweight in Sheamus. So immediately I felt felt like that was a, a very, um, it was a negative for him. Maybe this and, pay-per-view will be all three-way matches. Um, Have they done a pay-per-view like that? They did a, they did that fatal four-way pay-per-view one and done a, about 11 oh, years God, ago. What a terrible idea. Speaking of Alexa's playground. Lily had so much fun tonight, Alexa says. She loves to play hide-and-seek. Her favorite color is red, and trouble follows her. Someone has caught her eye, but she can't say who. Don't blame me for what happens next. And then Alexa sings about the world going crazy at the sight of her. What was that scream? Is this a dream? Lily, what did you make me do? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think these look really corny. But um, it's weird because like, I watch these and then I watch the Alistair Black things. And when you think about just what the content of the words that they're saying, I don't think it feels all that different. They're both telling these like wild, crazy stories of things that are metaphorical and really kind of tough to believe in. But the Alistair ones come across so much better. And ultimately, I really have to, again, like just comment on the difference I see. And that's the production level, the treatment and presentation of something like this feels incredibly cheap. It's really just like, it's Alexa, I think doing a pretty decent job actually at like conveying whatever this character is supposed to be, but the way it looks and just the lack of treatment and supporting material attached to it, um, just kind of makes it look like kind of cheesy theater. I w I wish we had the, the draft coming up because I would love to have like a spinoff where Alexa's next program, we get like the, the randomizer and who, which woman gets slotted to be programmed with Alexa bliss for this program of the women's division. Mm. Even Marie. Well, her hair is pink now. It's not red. Oh, okay. So I don't, that's what I thought too. Um, who Which would, would be fine. I would be fine with Eva Marie feuding with Lily. Yeah, that would be I'm really all for interesting. It. Like an evil 
Evil Marie. Evil Marie. Evil Marie. Like a, she should have been this character. She should have been with the fiend. Yeah. Yeah. This would be great. Great. So, so who is it? Stories. Who do you think it is? I don't care. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler versus Naomi and Lana for the tag titles. For the tag titles, they got two minutes. Oh, my God. They just had to sprint through this. Uh, Jack sent Naomi into the desk. Reginald got involved. Lana has the match won, but with Reginald's interference, the ref is distracted. She gets upset, caught in the Kirafuda clutch. She escapes, but then gets caught the second time. They did all this in two minutes and one second, and that was it. So Naomi and Lana lose. Um, doesn't mean they're out of the title picture. Maybe we'll get a three-way with Natalia and Tamina at the pay-per-view. I guess that's always possible. This It felt like they they were... I don't know if they had just kind of lucked themselves into this situation where, hey, like Naomi and Lana have a few wins. They probably deserve a title match. And this almost just felt like a way of like blowing that off so that you could move on to like Natalia and It's like their, their mandatory title defense. Yeah, I guess so. But it's really unfortunate because you can tell like Naomi and Lana are really like on their own time working hard to do something with this team. I thought they had some pretty good rhythm together with like some of their tag team maneuvers, but um, it just, you know, it wasn't going to be taken seriously, unfortunately. So I'm guessing the Natalia and Tamina seem like they're up next or, or is it Rose and Dana? Um, that seems it's the like, water thing. They threw water on. Oh, I told on dude, them. you <laughs> didn't even need to remind me. Um, actually you did because I had completely forgotten about, it. we got nothing refer- referring to the slip tonight. I guess we can uh, slip that in. Well, there are only so many programs, you know, like the, the Shayna and Naya team have to work their way through. We didn't get anything with Angel Garza and Naya tonight either. So, I mean, Naya only got to, like, hit one of her four storylines tonight. It is pretty crazy, like, the the kind of, like, uni- solar system that they're crafting around Shayna and Nia Jax. Maybe she'll get to meet Lily. She'll be in sure. every angle. Every angle. MVP is like, is anyone not aware of this match that's coming up? You're good? All right. One dominant bull. It's Bobby. So the dominant bull versus Braun Strowman was our main event. Drew came out and Braun got in his face. Lashley hit him from behind and then wanted to fist him. Drew was not interested. Or at least we went to commercial break. We really didn't even get his reaction. He just stood there. Bad time to break. Yeah. So Drew joins commentary, and he plugs that he has a book coming out on Tuesday, and then they move on, and then out of nowhere, Byron just goes back and says, so about your book, Drew, what about promo class? Just came out of nowhere, like no context, yeah. just like, tell me about promo class, and Drew, you could tell, was legitimately caught off guard by this random question, like of all the questions, like, hey, you've got a book out, tell us a little bit about it, no, Tell us about promo class. I thought I'd miss some reference that he made like in one of the earlier interviews to promo class or something, because yeah, this came out of nowhere and he actually had a pretty good answer off. You could tell it was completely off the top of his head. Okay. So even if it was a good answer, what the fuck is a promo class in the context of this sport uh, of this pro wrestling league? What is a promo? In, it, in the it's probably a few degrees of separation away from Lily in the last segment. So I'm not and, as... and why is Vince McMahon, the evil boss genius, teaching his his uh, athletes how to promote? Tell them about promo class. 
yeah, what the hell is this? I've, I've got Roddy on line five. He's telling me all about promos. <laughs> Going back to that Roddy hell conversation just repeatedly. Eh? So um, anyway, they moved on from here. So I want I wanted to hear more about Drew's book. Lashley hits a running right hand in the corner. Strowman hits an electric chair, avoids the hurt lock. Strowman Express on the floor misses Lashley, who sidesteps, and Braun runs into Drew, causing a big argument. Drew gets on the apron. Braun turns around, speared, and Bobby wins in 13 minutes and 15 seconds. So last week, we had Braun beat Drew. This week, Bobby beat Braun. Uh, so, so these challengers r- really getting uh, set up well for this championship match next uh, next weekend. Drew then hits a Claymore on Lashley, Claymore to Braun, and then breaking news, I should say shocking news, seven days notice, Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre on Raw next week. I was, I was floored. We've got a match for next week's Raw. I mean, it's your textbook, like, typical three-way build um, that you could program from a video game. Like throughout this entire show, um. Anyway, I' not very excited about this particular main event on Raw. Unfortunately, uh, I feel like we just went through the three way process, the entire cycle of three ways, but a much better one. Wait, this is a WrestleMania more... rematch. Yeah, I guess so. But I think we just saw a much better version of this in the SmackDown side of things with Edge, Roman, and Brian. Um, this just feels like it's any other match. So, this pay-per-view is what, a week away? A week Sunday. So, we got 13 days. And what do we have so far? I'm just curious. We only have the, I think, two matches. We have the th- the triple threat for the championship with Drew, Bobby, and Braun, and the women's and the women. triple threat. I think that's it. And Belair and Bailey. Oh, that's right. Belair and Bailey. So, we have three matches. You Man, would think that they'll, they'll, they've got to set up the Reigns match it's this Friday. Cesaro Reigns, they'll do. But yeah. it's looking pretty lame duck. I mean, they'll fill it out. But yeah, it it does not feel like a big show. I mean, the SmackDown match is going to be the big match on the show. Reigns and Cesaro? Yeah, I know. But it's just not a, a result that I think anybody is um, guessing, you know? So you loved Raw? God. Yeah, this one was pretty lazy. It was just a shitty Raw. And I'm sorry if this review it feels lazy too i don't have much analysis to give um wait what's happened what happened did, did my negative energy no 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 i just I, I it was just a really uninspired show you know and like can somebody argue otherwise there's gonna be somebody out there this is one dude on like youtube who loves every single one of these shows so uh, i look great. forward to your, to your review it's the glory days then yeah getting consistency every week yeah um tonight the forum gave this show a 3.8 out of 10. Uh, so let's go to the forum. Forum.postwrestling.com We go to Chris who says, In defense of Young Rock, considering some of Way's favorite part of Dark Side of the Ring are the recreations, one of the ongoing storylines of actors recreating some of the biggest stars of the WWE in the 80s. And that alone is worth checking out. Okay, well thanks Chris for the recommendation. He says, regarding the A&E biographies, do you think there was any intention of putting Macho Man back-to-back with Roddy, in which they spent time when the Piper Doc talking about how Roddy was difficult about the finished mania with Mr. T? And then the next episode, they say the perfect wrestler shouldn't care if they're getting pinned or pinning. No, I, I, I think you're looking really deep into these documentaries. I don't think there was any kind of symmetry between 
one or the other. Yeah, I don't think so either. Paul from New Jersey. I appreciate WWE trying to rebuild the tag division on Raw, but the verbal exchange between Kofi and Omos was pitiful. In fact, there were a lot of terrible promos on the show tonight. Dana Brooke looked pretty bad tonight. I don't understand the appeal of her or Mandy. Made it to the Ripley-Charlotte-Oscar segment and called it quits. I don't know if the show is horrible or if it's just a whole lot of nothing. Monday nights are just boring. Another satisfied customer. I think there could be tremendous appeal to anybody if they're put in the right position. We just saw Mandy Rose come out of one of the hottest storylines of the past year. With yeah, n- not just. I mean, that we're a year removed okay, from that. I'm fine, a year removed. But I still remember that. Uh, she is not in anything nearly as interesting today, unfortunately. She's greatly regressed in terms of, I think, what her role is in the company. But there is a ton of potential there. Even the stuff she did with Otis I thought was quite amusing. She, she was great in that story. We've got a Nick from Boston who says, Tonight seemed mostly like filler once again. However, the debut of Mansoor was a much-needed fresh element. Regardless of his country of origin, more representation of all kinds is always welcome on a show like Raw, and I'm happy to see his work pay off with a main roster spot. With that being said, they couldn't have let him go 50-0? and 0? That's right. Tonight would have ended his streak because he did lose by disqualification. Shit, He's, you're he right. Had, he hasn't lost <laughs> since 2019. <laughs> Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, they oh, did not point that out at all. Man, well, he didn't get hit with a cattle prod, but nonetheless, this was quite the end to a streak. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, they didn't even bring it off. Like, they, they, I guarantee you, they they probably didn't even realize until like midway through. It's like, man, this guy's won a lot. It's like, do we even capitalize on our own just randomness that he's built up all these wins? No. Like, if, if it's not a Vince-approved story to begin with, he's not going to run with it. It's Just in his like own company. Can you, like... Oh, he doesn't... Uh, you cannot tell me he watches 205 Live. He does but, not watch Main Event. He doesn't watch NXT UK. He doesn't... Like, I don't even think he watches t- NXT. But wouldn't that, that one segment for Adam Pearce, just a throwaway line that, hey, this guy... Yes, has- the answer is yes. Whatever you're about to say, the answer is yes. But there's no, yeah, it's really silly. Simply, if you said has been undefeated since 2019, it would have made him a bigger deal. But unfortunately, that's not the story they had planned for him. The story they had planned for him is the same one they have slotted for every single cruiserweight that that's ever been through this company. He's just the next Shorty G, or like, you know, uh, I guess. Um, what am I thinking about? It's another generic cruiserweight. Oh, whatever. Felt like there was potential in a streak storyline and getting upstage by Humberto and laid up by Sheamus wasn't the ideal deal debut I had in mind. Hopefully he'll be involved in a match at Backlash. With the prominent positions we've seen him in, seen him in before, how do you see him being used going forward? Um, that being Mansoor, um, you know, he I will think he's, he'll I think be he's utilized. Com- Sorry, please go ahead. No, you you think he'll be a commentator? Yeah. I think they're, he's going to reach his limit. He's going to be in the 24-7 division. And then a year later, they'll just be like, hey, we need a commentator. Join the desk. I mean, I would hope that they have some plan for him as a babyface on the show. This show could use something. Um, but yeah, I, I think that seems like a better trajectory that he will be um, a 24-7 level guy, if the 24-7 division even exists, uh, and then heat it up twice a year for the Saudi Arabia shows where he will have um, a match every time. Uh, your turn. We go to Andrew from Cape Breton. I usually watch two hours of Raw, so it doesn't feel like the kind of torture outlawed by most countries. At least they're not sticking a rose up anyone's butt in the post-wrestling family. Okay. 
I knew of Eva Marie coming back, but I don't really understand why. She never struck me as a good talker, and I don't think working for a few months at the PC will work out any of the kinks. If it's only because of her look, there are plenty of attractive women in WWE who can fill her role. Uh, Carmella has the same gimmick. Some positives is they got some people on the show who normally who normally weren't. They even gave Cedric a speaking role, despite his voice not wanting to be a part of the segment. Uh, he asks about WCW in 2000 compared to Raw now. Is Raw... WCW 2000 bad. I think completely I think different. Could, there are different forms of bad, you know. WCW 2000 bad. Um, WCW in 2000 more... made utterly zero sense and was nonstop. I would say it was like impossible to follow and it was totally illogical. Um, Raw the pacing of Dynamite, but like none of the sense of Dynamite. Raw is just like. I think sometimes it, it it actually makes sense. It's just painfully slow and very very repetitive and very like uh formulaic. Yes. We got Alex from Portland who says this felt like the best raw WWE has put on in months. While not everything was great, the pacing felt very fast compared to recent weeks. Morrison and Sheamus had matches. Mansoor and Eva Marie made their presences felt. And we got our main event for next week announced. Most promos tonight were meh at best. Olmos and The New Day were awkward. Alexa said nothing of importance. Cedric Alexander was difficult to understand. It's too bad Randy Orton's gimmick isn't finding people backstage and zipping their mouths shut. Question. Do you think Angel Garza will keep his new gimmick for a while? I think it could have legs but it wouldn't surprise me if he dropped it in a week. Um, What's the gimmick? Like he kicks a flower into people's ass? Sure, you could go for a year with it. Yeah, there's so much to explore. It's awesome. It has legs. All right, yeah. It's great. Uh, Kate is going to finish off the feedback. I've decided to bookmark this show so that I can go back in a couple of months to see if there has been any payoff to the time given to Humberto Carrillo, Angel Garza, Mansoor, Cedric versus Shelton, Lucha House Party, Drew Gulak, and even RK Bro. The recycling of the same matches was a definite issue on this episode, but they did give moments to people who we haven't seen a lot, or at least not a lot lately. I just don't have a lot of confidence that anything will come of it. I found myself more aggravated than usual tonight by the insipid women's segments. I put that down in part to the fact that tonight's dark elevation offered a contrast with their women's lineup, like the surprising and enjoyable match between Abaddon and Ryo Mizunami. With the champion and the return of Charlotte, there's no reason why the Raw women's division should feel as stale as it does. And if your idea of how to spice things up is to reintroduce Eva Marie, the future does not seem bright. The use of newer or little-seen talent made this week's Raw a bit better than the last couple, but even as I type that, I feel like I've given in to some kind of wrestling Stockholm Syndrome. That's a new level where you feel guilty for even thinking of uh, praise. Stockholm syndrome um, could do that. I mean, her points are right. Like you did see focus on people that we don't typically see on on Raw. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see where they go with some of these stories at varying degrees of success on tonight's show. Yeah, yeah. If Angel Garza is kicking people in the ass with flowers four weeks from now, might have a star on our hands. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how far this gimmick goes. Maybe he can introduce other objects. Like what? Different kinds of flowers. Cactuses. <laughs> That's a pay-per-view. All right. Well, there you go. That was raw. Entertaining three hours as always. So thank you for joining us. Uh, what are you going to do after t- after this? 
I'm probably gonna take a shower and then I'm gonna watch um well, I'm, uh the the New Japan stuff. Okay. Well, you've got uh, Tanahashi and Jay White uh, on tap, so enjoy that. Are you gonna watch the, the Iron Fingers ladder match? Of course, that's, that's right. my main you've, event. You've you've held it off for for all day. You get the big ladder mm-hmm. match blow off between Tamatonga and Taichi. So enjoy. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday. Sometime in the afternoon, we will be up for Post Wrestling Cafe members uh, with our thoughts on Dontaku. And then Wednesday night, we're live 10.15 Eastern with Rewind to Dynamite after Blood and Guts for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Cafe members. So we'll speak to you all then. And in the meantime... uh... Watch what you say before I stick this rose up your ass. Is that what he said? Poetry. Good night.